This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30, and we'll begin reading in a moment or two. Uh, in this story, uh, King David's life at this point is a very, very low ebb. Uh, the tide of events had cruelly turned against him. And just when he thought that things just could not get any worse, they did. Here's what happened. About 10 years prior to this, uh, David had been anointed by Samuel the prophet to be king over Israel in place of Saul, who was still alive. God had finished with Saul. David now was the man. And of course, David as a boy had been Saul's harpist, very skillful at playing the harp. Later on as a young man, you remember that he went out and fought Goliath of Gath in the valley of Ephesdamon and killed Goliath and how then that the army of Israel chased the Philistines and destroyed them. But coming back again from the battle, the woman had made up a great song that Saul had slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. And the more they sang that, the more jealous Saul became. He became insanely jealous. And as time would go on, he would get worse and worse to the point where at least on two occasions he threw a javelin to try to kill David to stick him to the wall. And so things was really bad to the point where David at one point decided he'd need to go into exile to get away from Saul, who, who definitely wanted to kill him. And of course, some people who were loyal to David, there was about 600 of them, some of them great soldiers, uh, they went with him. And unfortunately, David removed himself to the land of the Philistines. And the old enemy of Israel were the Philistines, and, and it was unfortunate that that's where he went, but he didn't feel he could go anywhere else. But the king of the Philistines uh, was accommodating to David, and he allowed David and his family and his soldiers and their families, their children, their livestock and their goods, he allowed them to stay in a little city called Ziglag. And so they settled in Ziglag. And after about 18 months or so, the king of Philistines decided to go against Israel, to attack Israel. And David, maybe out of some sense of misplaced obligation, felt that, well, he had been good to him. He allowed him to stay there. So we will go with you. I'll get my men and we'll go with you and fight against Israel. Now, that would have been an unmitigated disaster, not only for David, but also for Israel. But the lords of the Philistines, the generals, they weren't happy about that because they felt that in the heat of battle that David would probably change and actually attack them. And so the king of the Philistines said to David, I'm sorry, you cannot go with us. Go back again to Ziglag. Now, Ziglag was about three days' journey. And so they went back to Ziglag. And just when David thought it could not get any worse... It did, because when they got to Ziglag, they discovered that a, a raiding party of Amalekites had come when they were away, and they had burned the city with fire. They stole all of their goods and all of their cattle, 
and they took their wives and their children captive. They didn't kill them, but they took them captive and headed away. And David was absolutely devastated because here he was doing his best as he thought on the run from Saul. And here he is now, and in his absence from Ziglag, everything he had was taken from him, including his precious family. And not only that, but now his most loyal men are threatening to kill him. They want to stone him because their families have been taken. They have lost everything too. And so David was devastated. He was far from home. He was distrusted by the Philistines. His, his camp was destroyed. His goods were taken. His wives and children were captive. His loyal friends were banned for his blood. This was a terrible time. This was a back against the wall time. This was hanging on by your fingernails time. There was no knot at the end of this rope. There was no light at the end of this tunnel. The die was cast. The cards were dealt. The lot had fallen in the lap. What to do? What is he going to do? Where do you go from here? Where is God in all of this? Ever been there? Ever been up a dead-end street? Ever face a brick wall? Ever been on the ropes? Ever face a seemingly insurmountable obstacle? That's where David was. No family, no friends, no funds, no future. Far from home. The words against him. How could he possibly make sense out of all of this? It's just one calamity after another. It's just one blow after another. Have you ever been in that place where it seemed to be like it's just been one blow after another? It's just been one bad phone call after another. It's one bad letter after another. You think, where did all that come from? What's happening? What's going on in my life? And so surely he must be at breaking point right now. This is a, a crossroads in his life. What is he going to do? He's got to make a decision here. It's absolutely crucial. And he's got only two choices. He can either run to God or he can run from God. And sometimes in life, we get to that place where we either run to God or we run from God. You see... Whenever you're not in that position, it's a no-brainer. We know what to do. We run to God. It's easy. That's obvious. That's what we know to do. That's what we have been brought up to believe to do. That's what we have done in the past. We know that's easy. But if you're in his position, it's not so obvious. Because everything has gone wrong. So where was God? Where was God when everything's going wrong? Why is Saul wanting to kill me? Why has these Philistines turned against me? How come these Amalekites came in the very time we were left to come? Why are my men wanting to kill me now? Everything is going against him, so it's not so obvious what to do. Will I turn to God, or will I turn away from God? That's the question. The title of my message tonight, by the way, is When the Tide Turns. When the Tide Turns. There comes a point in our lives when the tide has got to turn. 
Verse 6 is a key verse in this chapter. Now David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. He strengthened himself. Some of your translations may say he encouraged himself. That comes from the same root word. He strengthened himself. He made himself strong in the Lord. How did he do that? How did he make himself strong in the Lord? How can we do that? If we're facing a crisis situation, if we're facing a difficult time, if we have our backs against the wall, how do we, like David, how do we encourage ourselves in the Lord? First of all, now he had a choice. He had a decision to make. Either run to the Lord or run away from the Lord. Thank God he made the choice to run to the Lord. He sought the Lord. He didn't act foolishly or presumptuously. Verse 6 says he was greatly distressed. No doubt he was perplexed. He was emotionally battered and bruised. He could have said and probably did say, Lord, you have failed me. Or maybe, Lord, how have I failed you? You know, sometimes that's what we think. And a dire situation, Lord, you let me down. You didn't come through for me. Or, Lord, what have I done wrong? What's happened to me, Lord, that this should happen? And so he was facing that situation. As far as he knew he was doing his level best to be committed to God, he didn't feel that he was deserving of this. But you know, when you read the Psalms and you read how David thought, often that's how he did think. Either, Lord, you'd let me down, or Lord, I've let you down. Lord, this, all this stuff is happening. I don't know why. <laughs> Have you ever been there? And so it says in verse 7 and 8, it says that David inquired of the Lord. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord. Now the ephod was a part of the high priest's garment. And there was a part in the ephod where there was a little pouch, as it were. And most commentators believe that there was two stones, a black one and a white one, and it was a way of ascertaining the will of God, a yes or a no. And after prayer, they'd put the hand in and bring out a black stone or a white stone, either a yes or a no. Now, whether he did that exactly, we don't know, but when he called for the ephod, that's telling us he's wanting to know the will of God. He's seeking the Lord. He's asking the Lord, what do I do? And it's a great thing when you're in trouble to go to the, to run to the Lord and say, Lord, what can I do? I need an answer to this. And so Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord saying, shall I pursue this trip? Shall I overtake them? 
Now, again, you would think it would be obvious that would be the thing to do. After all, it's your wife, it's your children, it's your goods, it's everything you've ever owned. But it's not so obvious when you're in that position. Because after all, he's not befitting God's forsaken me. <laughs> Everything's coming against me here. And if I go and pursue these Amalekites, maybe more of my men will be killed. Maybe I'll be killed. Maybe I won't come out of this well. So he really needs an answer. He doesn't know what to do. Shall I pursue? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, pursue, for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. David needed an answer. And so he sought the Lord to find his answer. In Psalm 34, verse 4, I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and he delivered me from all my fears. Thank you, Lord. Mm -hmm. The key is, I sought the Lord. Rather than be angry at God or disappointed with God and giving up on God and running away from God, he did the opposite. He ran to God, and he sought the Lord his God for an answer. Psalm 120, verse 1, In my distress... I cried unto the Lord, and he heard me. Psalm 130, verse 1. Out of the depths have I cried unto you, O Lord. Out of the depths, out of his innermost belly. Have you ever prayed one of those prayers? It's just not out of your head. It's out of your heart. It's out of your depths of your being. This is what he's doing. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. So the first thing he did when things had completely turned against him, when he had lost everything, the first thing he did was he sought the Lord. Is that the first thing we do? Or is that the last thing we do? Sometimes after days and weeks and months of worrying and fretting and fearing, then we seek the Lord. David stood there in a crisis losing everything, and he decided, I'm going to seek the Lord. I'm going to ask God's help. I'm going to go to the Lord and I'm going to ask for an answer to this dilemma. Amen. And that's good advice for us, isn't it? Secondly, he stood upon the promises. He stood upon the promises, and the promise was, pursue after this trip, for you shall surely recover all. God gave him a promise. He gave him a word. You may say, but I have believed God's promises in the past and they haven't come true to me. I have trusted a promise and it's failed. So what do I do? You trust again. You never give up trusting God's word. It may seem like everything's failed, but God is not about to fail you. Stand upon the promises again. What have you got to lose? What is the alternative? There is no alternative, sure there's not, other than trust the Lord and believe in his promises. In Psalm 34, here are some encouragements when you're trusting the Lord. Psalm 34 
verse 4, I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Verse 6, this poor man cried out and the Lord heard him. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. Thank you, Lord. Verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. Verse 17, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. 18, the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and save such as have a contrite spirit, a humble spirit. Verse 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Verse 22, the Lord redeems the soul of his servants and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. And then Psalm 37, which is just a psalm that's just full of promises. Verse 7, rest in the Lord, wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger, forsake wrath, do not fret, it only causes harm. So in other words, don't fret. Trust the Lord. Verse 18, the Lord knows the days of the upright and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time. And in the days of famine, they shall be satisfied. Verse 23, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not utterly be cast down for the Lord upholds him with his hand. I have been young, now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Verse 39. But the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in time of trouble. The Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in him. And then the last one. Isaiah 42, you don't need to turn to it. It's this beautiful one. Verse 2, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Now I know that's a promise to Israel. But it's a promise to us too. And God has some wonderful, precious promises. Let me just encourage you by this. Dr. Storms of Ontario he spent a vast amount of time studying the promises of Scripture. And writing in Contact magazine, he said, The Holy Scriptures contained a grand total of 8,810 promises. How do I know that? Because I've read every one of them, he said. And then he goes on to explain what he means by so many. He said there are 991 instances of one person making a promise to another person. There are 290 promises from man to God, but there are 7,487 promises from God to man. About 85% of all the Bible's promises are from God to us. Thank you, Lord. Surely, out of all that, Surely we can get one promise that's suitable in whatever situation we face. The promises of God are yes and amen in Christ for us.
And so he stood upon the promise. Thirdly, he took back everything the devil had stolen from him. In verse 9, after he was told to go and overtake them, so David went, he and the 600 men who were with him, and they came to the brook Bezor, where those stayed who were left behind. But David pursued, he and 400 men. For 200 stayed behind who were so weary that they could not cross the brook Bezar. So dispirited, so tired, so worn down, so emotionally beaten, they just couldn't go another step. So he left those behind and he took the 400. Then they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David. And they gave him bread and they ate and they let him drink water. And then they gave him a piece of a cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. So when he had eaten, his strength came back to him, for he had eaten no bread nor drunk water for three days and three nights. Then David said to him, To whom do you belong and where are you from? He said, I am a young man from Egypt, servant of an Amalekite, and my master left me behind because three days, these three days, sorry, my master, master left me behind three days ago, I fell sick. We made an invasion of the southern area of the Cherethites in the territory which belongs to Judah and of the southern area of Caleb, and we burned Ziglag with fire. And David said to him, Can you take me down to this trip? So he said, Swear to me by God that you will neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will take you down to this trip. And when he had brought him down, there they were, spread out over all the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of the great spoil which they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. Then David attacked them from twilight until the evening of the next day. Not a man of them escaped except 400 men who rode on camels and fled. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken away, and David rescued his two wives, and nothing of theirs was lacking, neither small nor great, sons or daughters, spawn or anything which they had taken from them. David recovered all. Then David took all the flocks and herds they had driven before those other livestock and said, this is David's spoil. That was the icing on the cake. He came back with more than they had left with. Glory to God. David recovered all. He took back everything the devil had stolen from him. <laughs> Jesus said the thief does not come unless it's to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come that you might have life, that you might have it more abundantly. What has the devil stolen from you tonight? What is your zigzag? Has he stolen your peace of mind? Are you fretting? Are you worried? Are you anxious? Are you fearful? Maybe about tomorrow or next week or what's ahead? Because he plays on the mind, doesn't he? If he can get our mind in turmoil, it's hard to pray. It's hard even to come to the house of God. It's hard to stand and worship. If your mind is in turmoil, the thief wants to steal your peace of mind. What about the joy of your salvation? Hmm, what about that? In life, stuff happens, doesn't it? And sometimes it drains us. And even we can come into the house of God and we go through the motions. 
but not much feeling in it. We're saved. We're going to heaven. We're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb for sure. That's not a question. But what about the joy of the Lord? What about that first expression we had when we got saved at the start? And it was exciting. And the Lord had saved us, and we knew that, and we were glad for that. And sometimes through life and through stuff that happens, the enemy can try to steal the joy and the wonder of our salvation from us. What about your finances? Have you had a hard time? Have your finances taken a bit of a beating? Because <laughs> sometimes that happens. Maybe the job didn't work out the way you thought. Huh? Maybe the factory closed or the business went bust or whatever the case may be or something happened and suddenly you find yourself in a pickle, as we say, financially. What about your strength? Has he stolen your strength? I'm not talking about your physical strength, but I'm talking about your spiritual strength. Maybe you don't feel as strong spiritually as he used to be. <laughs> See, the enemy's a thief, and he wants to come and take out of our lives and steal from us. And he stole everything David had. But David recovered all. Glory to God. And there's maybe something that you and I need to recover too today. And then finally, he saw the tide turn in his circumstances. It's wonderful when the tide starts to turn in your circumstances. You know, in the next chapter, which we're not going to read, Saul, who had been hounding him, wanting to kill him. That's why he was in exile. But Saul got killed at Gilboa by the Philistines. And Saul's son, Jonathan, David's close and dear friend, was also killed in that battle. But this was a, a turning point, a pivotal point in David's life here. This is, this, at this moment, this is when the tide starts to turn for him. Now, he mourned the death of Saul because Saul was God's anointed, he said. And he loved Jonathan, and he mourned much more for Jonathan. But after he had mourned, if you would read on, after he had mourned, you go into the next chapters, after he had mourned, then he sought the Lord, what to do? Do I go back? And God told him to go back. Go to Hebron. And he went back. And there he was anointed king over all Judah. He was anointed king. What should have happened 10 years ago? It took 10 years. But now the tide had completely turned in his favor. And he went from that place of desolation and isolation, that place of exile where everything had gone against him and everybody had turned against him. He went from that to now he's been crowned king over all Judah. The tide had completely turned for him. It's wonderful when the tide turns for us. Sometimes it takes a while. Joshua, under God's instruction, told the children of Israel to march around Jericho once for six days, and then the seventh day, seven times. Thirteen times. Nothing changed the first time or the third time, or the fifth, or the seventh, or the ninth, or the eleventh. Nothing even changed the twelfth time. Everything was exactly the same. But on the thirteenth time, 
everything changed. In a moment, everything changed. When they blew the trumpets and the walls fell down flat and they walked in and they took the city, the impregnable city of Jericho, everything changed. That man had lain at that pool for 38 years, waiting till the waters were troubled that he could go in and be healed. But when the Lord came, he says, I have no man. When the waters are troubled, I have no man to let me in. It happens every time. I've never been in. I've never got it. I haven't got my healing. Think of it for 38 years, for 13,870 days. Every day he was at that pool. And for 13,869 days, nothing happened. But on the 13,870th day, everything changed. Hallelujah. Jesus touched him. Amen. And he was completely made whole. The woman was bowed over for 18 years and could in no wise lift herself up. 18 long, agonizing years. Debilitated. No quality of life. And suddenly... Jesus came and healed her in an instant. And the tide turned, and she would never be the same again. The little woman with the issue of blood, you remember her, for 12 long years until she pushed through the crowd and touched the hem of his garment. She had suffered many things of many physicians, but rather than getting better, she grew worse. Every day she got worse and weaker until she touched the hem of his garment. And then suddenly, suddenly the tide turned and she was never the same. Some of us need the tide to turn for us, don't we? We need a change. We need the tide to turn. David needed the tide to turn for him and thank God it did. And he became king. Let me read you a couple of encouraging things as we close. Charles Allen, the great old preacher of old. I don't know where he wrote it. Well, he was the one who printed it anyway. So we'll give him the credit. It's called Keeping On. I dreamed many a dream that never came true. I've seen them vanish at dawn. But I've realized enough of my dreams, thank God, to make me want to dream on. I prayed many prayers when no answer came, though I waited patient and long. But answers have come to enough of my prayers to make me want to keep praying on. I've trusted many a friend that failed and left me to weep alone. But I've found enough of my friend's true blue to keep me trusting on. I've sown many seeds that fell by the way for the birds to feed upon. But I've held enough golden sheaves in my hands to make me keep sowing on. I've drained the cup of disappointment and pain and gone through many days without song, but I have sipped enough nectar from the roses of life to make me want to live on. There's always been a debate who wrote this little poem. It's called Winners Never Quit. Some say it was Edgar Allan Guest. Some say it was John Greenleaf Whittier. That's a name to conjure with, isn't it? You'll know this. 
When things go wrong as they sometimes will, when the road you're trudging seems all uphill, when the funds are low and the debts are high and you want to smile but you only sigh, when care is pressing you down a bit, rest of you, mu rest of you must but do not quit. Life is queer with its twists and turns, as every one of us sometimes learns. And many a fellow turns about when he might have won had he stuck it out. Don't, get up, don't give up, though the pace seems slow. You might succeed with another blow. Often the goal is nearer than it seems to a faint and faltering man. Often a struggler has given up when he might have won the victor's cup. And he learned too late when the night slipped down how close he was to the golden crown. Success is failure turned inside out, the silver tint of the clouds of doubt. And you never can tell how close you are. It may be near when it seems afar. So stick to the fight when your heart is hit. When things seem worse, you must not quit. <laughs> Glory to God. Let's believe, friends, tonight, in your situation, the tide is going to turn. I don't know how, I don't know when, I don't know what God will do, but let's believe, let's have faith to believe that our God is going to turn the tide in our life. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you can do the impossible, Amen. that nothing is too hard for the Lord. Lord, sometimes we cannot even begin to think how you can change the situation how you can turn our tide. But Lord, you can. And we believe that you will. Thank you, Jesus. So we're going to trust you. We're going to keep on, keep on believing you. We're going to read those promises and say, yes, amen, I believe that. And we're going to see the tide turned. Hallelujah. Lord, bless your church tonight. Bless those, Lord, who are pressing on the upward way. Bless those, Lord, who are fighting the good fight of faith, who are running the race with patience and perseverance. And we pray, Lord, that that tide will surely turn to the glory of God in Jesus' name. So, Lord, as we leave this room tonight, let us be encouraged and strengthened and let our faith rise again to put our trust wholly and solely in you for the glory of God Amen. in Christ's name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.